Hello and welcome to episode 50 of The Worst Critics. I'm Noah Davis. I'm John Pina. And we will talk to you about the latest and sometimes not so greatest in movies, music, television, and more. Let's get right to the news. Per deadline, Killian Murphy will play Oppenheimer in Christopher Nolan's biopic that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, the official release date is July 21st, 2023. Killian Murphy's a good actor. He's been in Nolan movies. Uh, you know, he played the Scarecrow. I think he might have been in Dunkirk. I don't... I'm not 100% on that, but if you told me he's in Dunkirk, I'd believe you. Uh, so, yeah. Only we had someone who could look it up for us, like an intern of sorts. Uh, he only. was in Dunkirk. Boom, in Dunkirk. You've seen him before. You'll see him again as Oppenheimer. That's uh, coming out in two, two years. Jesus Christ, I didn't... I honestly thought it said 2022 until rereading that. You didn't put that, that math together? I mean, that's a long time, man, but uh, whatever. Netflix has announced that the original Japanese voice cast for Cowboy Bebop, the anime, will dub the new live-action TV show for their services. Uh, I think this is a really cool and almost a new like uh, type of news story because I'm not sure if this has ever happened, adapting an anime to a live action and getting the cast of the anime to dub the live action. Uh, it's apparently the first time the, these cast members have been in the same room together or talked to each other in like 20 years since there's some, uh, I think the movie that came out after the show. But yeah, I, I think this is a really cool idea. I think uh, if they continue to adapt other anime, that this is a neat way for like, you know, just an easy fan service without really doing that much work kind of falls into place. I'm more of... Well, the reason I wanted to comment on this one in particular was Netflix is known to have issues with their dubs, so it's cool that they're getting the right voices, but I'm just curious, like, how will the actual words translate? Like, are they really going to hone in on like correct translation from Japanese English English to Japanese, or is it more so going to be like a, you know, squid game situation where it's not even close, like not even close to the Korean. So what I've read about squid games is that people are turning on the wrong subtitles. In what way? Like people are turning on the audio descriptions or something? No, people are pr turning on the uh, closed captioning, which is the dub subtitles. And then there's just the subtitle subtitles for the actual sub Korean version. And so people are watching the dub subtitles, but, you know, hearing the Korean words. Yeah, this was a problem. This is a problem with Netflix's anime that I've talked about for years, but they still haven't listened to me because the subtitles for the dubs are not, in fact, even a thing. You just get the subtitles for the sub. So if you're watching the dub, the scripts are two completely different things or, you know, two completely different sets of words or descriptors and it gets kind of annoying. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's what I assume has been happening and that's why people are criticizing its uh, translation. But I don't know. I don't know. It seems like a, seems like an easy win for Netflix here. Will Poulter has been cast as Adam Warlock in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, if you don't know, at the end of Ga Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, there was a teaser of Adam Warlock, and the the uh, the gold people were making a guy, and that's Adam Warlock, who's like the perfect being. Uh, yada and, yada. Isn't that supposed to be like Star-Lord's dad or something? No, Ego is Star-Lord's dad. Spoilers. Uh, 
the planet, the living planet was Star-Lord's dad. Mm. Mm. This is just going to be the creature or the being that is created by the villains or the side villains. I guess there were two sorts of villains in that in volume two. So, uh, you know, expect more random 80s hits and Will Poulter in uh, volume three. I think that comes out next year. I don't really, I don't know. It, it comes out when it comes out. Marvel movies, you get it. You can look it up yourself. But I don't know. I'm not a huge Will Poulter guy. You know, maybe I just haven't seen him in the right role. Uh, he's just got a, he's got a face. You oh. Know? Never mind. Apparently it's uh, Emperor Jason. Sure. Star-Lord's dad. Yeah, I think that's in the comics. Well, of course it's the comics. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I just meant that ego. Kurt Russell is his dad in the movies. So that's, uh, okay. that's all I was saying. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, Anthony Hopkins has been cast in a side role in Florian Zeller's follow-up to the father, the son. Uh, the role is unknown right now. And since I'm, sh- I, I think the son is based off one of his plays or something. Uh, it's, I assume it's an already made character, but you know, I, I wouldn't doubt if he made a character just to work with Anthony Hopkins again. I mean, I, I'm hyped for it. You know, if yeah, it's I, if it's half as good as the father, it'll still be a great movie. I agree completely. I'm um, and fingers crossed he's not dead. He's excellent as an actor. You know, what I mean, he's still got all the chops. So hundred percent. Yeah, I. You know, Very this is excited. this is weird. I don't, I don't know if we've ever like talked about this per se or specifically, but. It's weird how actors refuse to retire, or a lot of actors at least, just refuse to retire. And it's like, no, nah, they're acting till they die, buddy. You know, uh, Donald Sutherland, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of 80-year-old actors. Anthony Hopkins. I, Motherfucking I would say, Bill Murray. Who, uh, I would say you know, so Blake. many old actors. Yeah, Bill Murray, which is a good segue into a piece of news that wasn't next, but will be now. Bill Murray might be joining the MCU in an undisclosed role in Ant-Man Quantumania, which is Ant-Man 3, I believe. Uh, There's a thing where his acting double or his face double got cast in the movie, so people are only assuming that Bill Murray got cast in the movie. This isn't 100%, but... It's kind of pointing towards Bill Murray joining the MCU in some sort of capacity, whether it be a cameo or a very minor character. It seems like it might be happening. So, only thing I want to talk about in this piece of news is actually related to the comment that we just made, which is, he's older than the goddamn son. Pretty old. Pretty old. I mean, uh, how old is Bill Murray getting to? It's like 90, bro. He's not 90. You're in no way. Yeah, he's not that old. He's like 71. But fucking... William, oh, William Shatner's another one? William Shatner's... Well, he kind of quit acting, to be fair. He's not... Look up look up Donald Sutherland. I want to look up how old Donald Sutherland is. William Shatner is 90. Right, but Donald Sutherland is like actively acting in a movie that comes out this he's 86. year. He's yeah. 86. That man is going to act till he is in the grave, okay? He's going to have posthumous movies at 89 or 90 or whatever. Uh, so, I, you know, I just got to respect the hustle, really, because I feel like I'd cash out way before that, you know? <laughs> if I'm uh, that rich and that well off, you know, uh, whatever. But, you know, I guess you, you do what you love. Uh, like Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. They're both sort of banging that maybe Patrick Stewart less, but Ian McKellen's still banging it out. 
uh, you know, so I don't know how that works. I'm not, it's just like you retire when you feel like retiring. Moving on to some more casting here. Knightley is to star in a new movie, Boston Strangler. It is about the reporter who first, first broke the story of, you guessed it, the Boston Strangler. Uh, there's not really uh, much else known. It's I think it's based uh, like around a book, but not like based on a book, just based on the same story as a book. Uh, I don't, I don't particularly care about this piece of info. You know, Boston Strangler, so many years ago, who cares? You know, the past is the past, right? That's that's what they say. Uh, moving on, Jake Gyllenhaal is to star in Guy Ritchie's next untitled movie after Guy Ritchie's next movie, which is going to be Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. It's a World War II movie about England's first black ops unit. Um, you know, Guy Ritchie does Guy Ritchie things. I... I respect his craft, but I, I, I'd be lying if I said I've really enjoyed his last few outings as a correct creator director. I, I, I didn't see uh, the gentleman, the Matthew McConaughey one. Did you ever see that one? I did not. Yeah, so I still need to see that one. But uh, Robin Hood was really bad, like so bad that it kind of kind of made me lose faith in Guy Ritchie just a little bit because um, pretty painful stuff. But moving on, and sort of speaking of Jake Gyllenhaal, this is this one's a weird one. Sam Hargrave, who is the director of Netflix's action movie Extraction, has three movies in the works that were announced this year. Um, he's got a movie called Combat Control starring Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Stay Frosty starring Idris Elba, and Profit, which is a superhero comic written by Rob Liefeld, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't know how this works. I know directors work on multiple projects at once, but I was trying to learn more about the, uh, the profit movie starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it literally showed me two other stories of movies that literally were just announced maybe a couple months ago and then three months ago. So I, I don't know which movie is actually in production and actually going to come out because there's no way one director is going to have three movies come out at the same time. Unless you're Ridley Scott you know, who has two movies coming out within the next month. So, you know, uh, I, I guess you might be seeing one or two of these movies here in the next year or two. And moving on, Mark Harmon is quitting his role as Special Agent Gibbs in NCIS after 128 years. Uh, no, it's actually only been 18 years, but... Right, 128 also works because, goddamn... That's very long. I, I don't know if there's another role that has lasted that long, honestly. Uh, specifically TV. I mean, you could argue. Simpsons. Well, that's voice acting. I mean, I guess that counts. Maybe live action. Count, right? maybe, well, maybe if you sub in, like, subheader live action role, that might be the longest one. Uh, unless, you know, some guy played a character on Gunsmoke for a billion years. But it's got to be up there in the records. 18 years as one character. Uh, I, don't, I can't imagine his character had any development beyond being Gibbs. Uh, I don't really care for the show, but you got you to gotta give the man props. 18 years on television is uh, a long time. Moving on to some new TV and movie announcements. FX orders a new restaurant-based comedy in, based in Chicago titled The Bear. It will star Jeremy Allen White, who you might know as one of the brothers from Shameless. I don't know the names, but you know them. If you, if you watch Shameless, you'll be like, ah, that guy, that guy. Uh, one of Fiona's 
you know, fuck up brothers. You, you, if you've seen the show, you get it. Netflix has announced their new. He's like the. Yeah, I know which one he is, actually. Yeah. You know which one? Which one is he? Mm-hmm. He's like the curly headed, like weird looking, like went to college and then dropped out and all those like. I don't know. He's the older one, but not. Maybe he is the oldest one, actually. Can't tell you. He might be. Uh, well, I just don't remember their, all their ages or all the characters, but like. I think he was Philip. That doesn't sound right. Lip. Lip. Yeah. Philip. Yo, okay. He plays Lip from Shameless. Look at that detective work over here. Uh, all right. Uh, the Netflix has announced their new David Fincher project. It will be called Voir. Voyeur? Voir? I think it's Voir, like noir, but uh, Voir, a quote unquote new documentary series of visual essays celebrating cinema. It says yeah. some other. Bye. <laughs> Says some other uh, fluff piece stuff, but that's what it is. Uh, sounds kind of pretentious, just just a little bit pre- pretentious, and not for anyone but people who already like cinema. But you know, whatever. That's they have a deal with Fincher, so they're gonna have to put out whatever he wants. Honestly, I I don't know if it really strikes me as something I want to watch, except out of pure curiosity. You know, just right. to be like, hey, is this good or not? But. Uh, yeah, speaking of Netflix, Netflix is developing that 90s show. It is set in 1995 about Leia Foreman, who will be the doctor of Eric and Donna. You might know from that 70s show. Uh, she'll be visiting Red and Kitty, which is Eric's parents. Kurtwood Smith and Deborah Jo Ruff will be reprising their roles as Red and Kitty. There is no, There are uh, no other castings available. Who knows if... Other characters will be back. I, I I really doubt Hyde will be back. I don't think he's coming back. Really, it's kind of a like not coming back, bro. Yeah, I I don't I don't see him coming back. But I I could see the other characters coming back. Uh, I don't I don't see why like Kelso wouldn't come back since Ashton Kutcher was on the ranch for what six years. Mm-hmm. That was that Netflix, yeah, Netflix original uh sitcom. But you know I. This is weird, I guess, but uh, I'm I'm open to it. Uh, I don't think that '70s show was like a pinnacle of TV, at, you know, to begin with. So this isn't really bastardizing it for me, or you know, ruining the the whatever the the the, uh, the legacy of that show. So, you know, cheap sitcom, cheap laughs. You get it. Just hopefully there's no laugh track. There will be, but hopefully there's not. All right, Paranormal Activity 7, which we've talked about a couple months ago when we announced there was going to be a Paramount Plus original or something. Whatever, Paranormal Activity 7 will now be called Paranormal Activity Next of Kin, and it is set in an Amish community. Um, You know, the Paranormal Activity movies have always pushed the boundaries of technology, so... I guess it's kind of neat that they're going with Amish, but uh, whatever, man. I I, I don't know if I care enough to keep talking about this. Like, paranormal activity can just go fuck itself is basically the gist of it. Like, just please stop. Please. Please stop. Never. (laughs) You're begging them. You're begging them. Please. Okay, AMC Greenlight's The Walking Dead anthological spinoff Tales of the Walking Dead. I don't care. Watch this, don't watch this. I don't care. Moving on. 
Last group of news, Netflix claims that Squid, Squid Games is its biggest launch of a new show, trouncing Bridgerton's numbers. Uh, their quote was, it reached 111 million users. What the term reached means, I don't know. Who knows? Like, is that, oh, they watched it for two seconds, they watched it for X amount of minutes, they watched, you know, the whole show. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? It, it trounced Bridgerton, so now Squid Games is numero uno in Netflix's book. So I, I would expect a season two or a season two announcement real quick or within, you know, a few months. Moving on to our last piece of news. The new G4 multimedia launch is now officially November 16th, 2021. Uh, the platforms it will be... Featured on will include the channel lineups of Verizon Fios, Cox, and Xfinity TV. Uh, it'll stream on Philo and collaborate with Twitch on a multi-year promotional and commercial partnership through G4's official Twitch channel, and the rest of the stuff will be on YouTube. Uh, its content will be, quote-unquote, delivered through a first-of-its-kind 24-7 broadcast studio. Wait. So I can tune in 24 hours a day, seven days a week to mediocre game coverage from people who are being paid to sponsor said game. Yeah, I, so I think, I think they have the right sort of idea here. You know, I believe this is kind of what G4 fans or, you know, a new generation of G4 fans probably want from something, but the idea and the, the, uh, the realities and the logistics of running a 24-7 streaming broadcast studio for a Twitch channel sounds impossibly hard to maintain economically. You know, I, I'm going to be really curious how their numbers are just going to stay up for 24 hours. You know, like how's that, how are they going to gauge actual viewership or actual response from viewers? Uh, I don't know. Some of, its, uh, some of its lineup includes like Attack of the Show, X-Play, they have a new uh, eSports show that they made, and it's in partnership with, like, the official ESL stuff. And the eSports thing is coming out next year, but X-Play and Tech, the show should be available here soon. So watch out for G4. I don't know what year it is, but watch out for G4, you know? And that'll actually be the last piece of news if you want to take it away with the albums, John. Oh, do I? So, October 15th, we're going to get this right. And also, uh, a small apology, our uh, intern definitely handed me the wrong paperwork uh, the first two two weeks ago. Uh, Damn, unpaid interns. God. Where I, where I uh, reported the wrong one. So, we've got in the lineup for this week uh, almost nothing good, so stay tuned for that. Uh, so, we got Coldplay, and if you still like Coldplay in 2021... I feel bad for you and uh, the parents that you live with. When's the um, last time Coldplay put out an album? Has that been a minute? Or have they been actively releasing things? Great, great question. Yeah. I assume that, what's his name? Chris Martin? Uh, yeah, something Martin. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. Uh, that he has been making a lot of music with a lot of people, you know. Uh, but I couldn't tell you the last actual Coldplay album, but it looks like they are still doing it. Um, oh, okay. So this isn't a big deal. No. Everyday Life was in 2019. Oh, Ahead okay. Dreams was 2015. Ghost Stories was 2013. Milo Siloto was 2010. So so they just got, haven't stopped. Got it. Got it. Yeah, they just, they just haven't uh, recognized that they are Coldplay. Um, interesting 
that The Darkness has a new album. Wow. Um, yeah, totally. You might know them for a little song called, I believe in a thing called Love, and only that. Um, it's called Motorheart. I'm I think sure they had one other song that I no. used to know, and I no. don't know what it is now. No. Okay. Yeah, you're right. One song. One song. Um, also, Phineas, uh, famed for being the better half of the Eilish siblings, but the not-so-known one for whatever reason. Um because better's an objective term. Yeah. <laughs> better's an objective term, but um Yeah, he's got an album. Uh and we we were commenting on this I think maybe off air, but I'm not sure if it's really going to be like a uh what's his name? The producer friends with Old Dicky Rick Rubin on the show. Nope. <laughs> Benny Blanca. Ben, Benny Blanca. Thank you. I don't know if it's going to be like a Benny Blanca producer album where like he just gets a bunch of guest features and stuff. Right. Or if it's going to be like, because he can sing and obviously his sister is his sister, that like, is it just going to be their work under his name now? I don't know. You know, because it's technically their work always under her name. Yeah, I just assumed, I mean, I just assumed I know nothing about the man. I just assumed it was going to be him and just his tracks. Uh, mm-hmm. But but now that you say it, a DJ Khaled like collaboration yes, album Khaled. yeah that yeah. that makes more sense honestly but i would presume if he did that we would be seeing a track list with all the features so i i just i'm guessing that's just him but who knows i don't know but stay tuned for that that will be one of the more interesting ones uh, i'm gonna fast forward these next through but yep two or three but i'm gonna say them uh we got kelly clarkson uh, a christmas album cringe next uh santana uh tom morello uh uh, and Zach Brown band, ugh. But we do have Young Thug with uh, Punk, uh, which is like only his second actual album, um, which sounds crazy to say out loud, but it's true. Is it really? Yeah, because all is the it... other things are like mixtapes and side projects and collaborations, and this is like only his second studio album. Which that doesn't I know, sounds I mean... wrong. It sounds <laughs> wrong. It sounds objectively untrue, but I promise you. I believe I'm you. At the figures and the numbers. So I did the math. I believe um, you, but I still think you're lying to me. Like, so with <laughs> that, just... we can uh, move on to what we listen to. Yeah, uh, I don't think I listened to that much. I, I didn't even listen to that new Mick Jenkins song, and I'm sad about it. I I'm just oh. now remembering it right now. But I will talk to you about what I watched. Um, I finished the Marvels, What If, whatever. Animation's great. The art's not. Whatever. Don't care. Uh, then I watched the Star Wars Visions, which is the mm-hmm. different anime studios doing Star Wars. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you, I really love the animation and different animation studios. I love the ideas of the anthology, but it just seems so condensed or, or uh, constricted by its scope because every single story involves a Jedi. And I'm like, you know how much Star Wars there is that isn't Jedi? Uh, Every single story has one Jedi or it's about a Jedi. It, it kind of gets old and not grating, but it, it does kind of make the other episodes kind of boring because... Right, when it's not about, yeah. Literally, like they, there were two episodes that I really liked and one was just because it was really the first Jedi episode and it was the first episode. And the other one was, it was about a space punk band and that was cool, uh, but it still had a Jedi in it. So I, I, I don't know, it's really weird. And 
Then I watched, oh, then I watched uh, the Long Halloween animated version. It's a Batman, the Long Halloween. It's a DC animation, Warner Bros. animation. You get it. I have a feeling that the graphic novel is way better than that movie. It's a two-parter, and it doesn't really do much. Uh, The art's kind of, meh, kind of uninspiring. The voice acting is really weird. They got the guy who played uh, Dean Winchester in Supernatural. They got him to uh, voice Batman, and it comes off really weird, and I, I I don't really like it at all. So you have to hear three hours of that. Uh, that's really all I did this week, though, if you want to take it away. I also did not do a ton. Um, Music-wise, there was much more than um, TV, so I'll just say that sex education has continued to be chef's kiss. Um, We finally made it up to the current season. Nice. And that season premiere is like... It's it's one of those things that Netflix has consistently gotten right where... The first episode of like, you know, the like anticipated seasons, you know, where like stories like really popping off. And I would say it's true for like something big like Stranger Things. And it's true for, um, oh, I'm trying to think of a smaller show that I like on Netflix, but it doesn't matter. Like, it's hard to think of Netflix originals now. Yeah. Um, but either way, uh, it just kind of all those things that were cliffhangers, it resolves usually pretty quick and already opens up like new narratives. You know what I mean? Like in that first episode, it kind of gives you that satisfying thing and catches you on to like, oh, here's the next kind of like sequence of events. The um, new arc. And I guess, yeah, and I guess Stranger Things was a perfectly fine one to kind of say in that regard because yeah. it really does do that pretty much like on on point. So, uh, yeah, sex education is just really good, really consistent. I mean, if you like high school-based comedies, you're just going to crack up. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I have a lot on my watch list, so I'll add it to it. But, you know, I still got to watch Ted Lasso and stuff. So. Yeah, you do. You do. Actually, I need to watch a new season of Ted Lasso, too, so I guess I can't really say too much on yeah, that. Yeah, you do. Music-wise, uh, the Mink Jenkins song, I won't comment too much, but dope. Can? Yeah, uh, okay. It's just dope. Uh, you need to listen to it. Also, the new Zach Fox song, I feel like you didn't comment about, and I assume that you didn't listen to it because you're probably not a huge Zach Fox guy, but it's also on the playlist, and... Also pretty good. I mean, it's, you know, it's like Fox. It's I literally just listened to the album this week, 100%. Well, so. well, you listened to that Tech 9 thing, didn't you? You put it in the Oh, album. yeah. Well, you know, I listened to it once, and I was good. Uh, I, I just I just listened to it for the rock rapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhy- rhyming power and, with Devour. It's great. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, and true fans would know that that's not his first time rapping, so he goes all the way back to some bullshit promo commercial thing he did with wwe and like cereal or something it's on i YouTube, assume so I don't know. It's uh, cringe. uh john cena did like a rap disc towards the rock that's probably on the internets but yeah in summary i would say tech nine's album was trash but that song was interesting uh mick jenkins uh really looking forward to that project whenever it's coming out and uh sex education is a very good show but other than that really didn't do that much so that was a good little Time recap the album yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bust it open. I really like this album, uh, just off the cuff. Um, yeah, what a shocker, dude. Yeah, you know, he really captured the sad, uh, white boy in modern times feeling really well, and 
you know, if you don't appreciate that sound, I don't know what to tell you. But as a James Blake fan uh, who really loved his, I think his first uh, album or EP was self-titled maybe, and then Retrograde or, sorry, the album that contains Retrograde. I'm kind of blanking on uh, what the actual album was called. But his first two projects and albums were, I think, were really pivotal in kind of beat selection. Overground? Overgrown, that's it. Yeah, yeah, it has retrograde on it. But uh, yeah, Overgrown and his first project, I really like. I, I I do think he did kind of get a little stale with his last two albums. I didn't love them. Really? I, I, I remember, remember everyone was sucking off Assume Form, that 2019 one. It just sounded like James Blake to me. That's that's really, a, it, it didn't feel like he was doing anything new or bringing anything to the table, which I guess you could honestly argue about this album. It's probably pretty damn subjective but i want to i want to say that i really like the flow of this album I, I i think i've complained in the last three albums we've reviewed or so maybe not three but the last few i have complained about there's a lack of flow and you don't really know where you are in the album while listening to it it could just you know it could end if it wanted to and you'd be like oh okay i guess so yeah whereas this album Kind of has a flow, you know, it, it feels like there's a beginning, it feels like there's a middle, and it definitely feels like there's an end. Uh, James Blake's production is always pretty damn good. I, I don't, crazy good. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have any problems in that department whatsoever. I really liked his, you know, hard hip-hop song, the, the, uh, the one with the features that was called, which with one Jid? was that, Frozen? Yeah, the one with Jid. Yeah, uh, I I really like Frozen. That that beat's probably gonna stay in my head for thank a God. minute. What? I said thank God. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Jid killed it. Uh, is that? Do you know if that's Jid at the beginning with the deep voice filter? Yes, yes, it is. Okay, well, I assume it is because that's a frequently used pitching that he does in some of his music. So it sounds like it. And that, I yeah, just that's assumed. That's what I, I assumed also. I was just making sure because I really like it. It almost kind of comes off as Mick Jenkins, like on that specific song. But uh, yeah, man, I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of good things to say about this without a ton of bad things to really mention. Uh, you know, I uh, pretty much am in total agreement with you, um, with the exception that I don't really like James Blake. So mm. this album is James Blake. Fair. And it's totally fine. It's not offensive to me in any way. And the songs I like are the ones that aren't super James Blakey. And that, to me, is the Jid one, which I love because Jid and, you know, I'm biased. But um, they also the SZA one I quite liked. And that may be more James Blakey, but it's also SZA. So I'm like... She is great. She's still... Even today, even after she's pretty damn successful, I still don't think she gets the success or, you know, the success she deserves. Right. <laughs> I agree completely. So... You know, overall, I think the album's pretty good, but it didn't really, like, scream innovative, and it didn't really scream awesome. It was just James Blake. Yeah, see, I see, I see it as more of a honing in on what James Blake does best, uh, mm -hmm. where it, it's it's almost weird, the, the dichotomy of last week where I was complaining that uh, Meek Mill was just doing Meek Mill, and there was nothing else he was doing. Whereas yeah. this week, I'm appreciating when an artist just does what they do. Right. Uh, does so, what they do and has, like, made it better than previous iterations. Whereas 
Meek Mill definitely was doing what he did, but like the old Meek versions were better because it was fresh then, and now it just like literally had no changes, no perfection. It was like some of the same old beats, you know what I mean? Like no tweaking of the formula, whereas this seems like it's the formula perfected, you know? Yeah. And he he's he's definitely able to keep up with modern times and modern sounds, and I think that's what I like about James Blake is that he's willing to evolve with the times it feels uh, that he, you know, he's not just sounding exactly the same every single album. It seems like, you know, other music influences his music. It's crazy how it can come off like that sometimes. Uh, but yeah, it, this album is really more of a right place or right time, right place kind of thing. Just like the mindset I was in. And so like it just, I don't know. I, I really appreciate this album. Um, uh, I would say my biggest complaint, my biggest, uh, detraction whatever the biggest thing that detracts from this album is that the sonic diversity you know i i think we love a good diverse album and this just it wasn't as diverse as it could have been uh there there were a couple songs that kind of blended together too well uh and just just the whole sound of the album kind of faded into each other which which can be a good thing depending on what you're looking for but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I like the the theme of it being about his friends, or you know, most songs being about friends or uh, a friend, or just friends in general, or you know, friends. I think is really just the theme here, and you know, thematic. It's got a flow, sounds nice. So that that checks all my boxes, really. So, um, did you have any songs you didn't like? Uh, actually, no. Um, none that I marked particularly as going like this was offensive. Mm-hmm. I liked the two I liked, and everything else kind of just slipped into the category of sameness with me. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't think I have a ton more to say. Um, I, I, I'll shout out his singing because I don't think he's ever sang like he sings on this album before. And uh, say what you will, just chill bumps every time. That man can sing and falsetto pitch just it's great every time and i'm glad he actually is not afraid to just go at it on this project which i mean he has sang before but i don't think he's like highlighted it It hasn't been the the center of focus in his other albums whereas this album it kind of felt like it was but uh what score you want to give it i would say this is probably like a six five for me Mm, okay well i had an eight so wow i told you it's so just right like, time right place really that'd be like, that'd be like a seven two ish seven two five seven two five yeah yeah okay we're not doing the seven point twos you know we're, i'm fine <laughs> i'm fine with seven point two five i'm fine with that all right seven point two five i think that's under the the good range uh we really need a, a rubric for our ranges of like pretty good and great and decent uh I think that's the good or the decent range. So it's one of those things. If you're a James Blake fan, I think you're going to love it. If you're not, meh, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll think it's all right. Or, you know, think it's just okay. Uh, yeah, you want to get to the movie? Because I want to yeah, hear what you is, think about this. This is Carrie Joji Fukunaga's uh-huh. No Time to Die. Uh, James Bond, and it's the Jamesest of Bonds, you know. The JBs, dude. You got... Uh, so many people actually in this. Um, obviously Daniel Craig, but fucking what's his name? Um, uh, Rami Malik, Rami mm-hmm. Malik. I think. Uh, I think it's Rami Malik. 
Uh, I hope uh, it's not. Anna, Anna de Armas, uh-huh. uh, fucking uh, Christoph Waltz. Uh huh. The dude from um, uh, what's that HBO show? I keep thinking True Detective, but it wasn't True Detective. Something World Westworld. Dude from Westworld. Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, like a million other people, but. I was pleasantly surprised, and the because I just expect it to be shit. I have not liked a James Bond movie. I don't think ever really. Like, there's been moments of James Bond movies where, like, that's obviously cool, or it's like a cool action sequence. I think that's the things that James Bond perfects. Like, very rarely do I find violence in a film to be entertaining. I kind of mostly just like think it's beneath me. No offense to anyone who really, really enjoys action, but I just go, eh, I don't like people fighting it just does not rub me the right way ever so in this movie i was pleasantly surprised that like yes was there an excessive amount of killing was it unbelievable amount of shit for a 65 year old man to fucking be doing <laughs> 52 he's <laughs> 65 dude. Okay. <laughs> i don't care how the six-pack looks he's goddamn 100 years old it didn't it didn't um, look healthy man i don't think a 52 year old should be looking like that honestly no like, it's like <laughs> uh to to steal rick and morty's phrases here uh kids put your earmuffs on his cum gutters are excessively defined. <laughs> um, You're not wrong. So, <laughs> so, I don't know, man. The things I really, really liked was... Yeah, I want to hear it. Convince me. Yeah, Convince me. The, the things I really, really liked were, I think this is the first time where the stupid girl love interest that's going to die because it's tropey Bond bullshit and, like, they're going to betray him and there's going to be love and he's going to be like, dang it. Uh. You know, like, all that... There was like a real feeling of it because I didn't have some weird backstory about how they met. It just showed me that they were like together. And I understand that I'm sure the other movies probably tied it together and all that. But I'm talking about this movie as a box, right? And not the franchise of Bond Mm -hmm. because otherwise it loses all context for me. Um, You just kind of like get that these people are interested in each other and it's like this like you know they have to get over the two little things that's holding them back from you know developing him with that old chick and her with her past that she's not revealing for whatever purpose and then i think the kid is it necessary no but does it make you go like okay it's cool that daniel craig can die and you know we can have some resolution and this time it's not the girl that's dying it's him and I think the finality of it and him actually losing, quote-unquote, and not just making some miraculous escape, I think sold me on it being good. And I said the tech, like the spy tech in this one really made me appreciate spy movie tech. And Like, did they do the corny fucking men literally just running down the side of a building on regular-ass glass windows? And maybe they're not regular regular-ass glass windows, but, like, surely the people in the hallway heard your ass. You know what I mean? Like, you just went past <laughs> 20 different offices. Like, surely someone alerted somebody. That trophy Mission Impossible shit, like, that's what gets me. But then they do, like, the shoot a bomb that throws in a spiral magnet. Really? <laughs> that's and what you're doing. it's all over your body. And then you just, like, propel down without propelling. Like, that's... I'm not saying it's believable. But right. is it cool? Yes. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, it was pretty cool. It and, was I, cool. I, and I'm talking about, like, does this do the cool thing? 
and will the cool thing engage me in the movie? You can suspend my, you know, disbelief if it's cool. You know, like I don't care that that doesn't make any sense. You know, and and they didn't they did a little bit of the clickety clacky. Oh, I'm hacking into the mainframe. Oh, let me get extract the files from this USB. Yeah, look past that. Like, you gotta look past like, that. Well, but my issue is if we can sh- literally suspend human beings with magnets in a like controlled manner down, you know, seemingly like fifty floors of a skyscraper. Why are we still holding classified information on a USB? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I want you to like take off your finger and like fucking retinal scan, or like you know, obviously not retinal, but like uh, fingerprint scan yourself in, like with a robo finger, or right. you know, screw it into the back of the computer. You know what I mean? A USB just go fuck yourself. Like <laughs> you've been doing it for twenty years that way. Like. You might as well just bust out the floppy disk. Like, it's so retro, it's new kind of thing. But yeah, I don't alas, think it's password protected either, so it was just... Uh, no, no, it was just like... Dink-a-dink. Clickety-clacky, <laughs> yeah. you're right. Um, and I love when they do those, like, wing dings passwords where, like, a bunch of characters that oh, are yeah. just, like, random symbols are showing up, oh. and they're like, oh, I know what that means. Yeah, <laughs> that's my password. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a half moon full by a sideways triangle with half of it filled out, and... um. So yeah, anyway, besides all those little things that I always hate in sci-fi techie shit, um, I think that the suspension of my disbelief with the propelling was really cool. And also the stealth plane thing, I think, that turned into a submarine was just cool. Very and Metal also, Gear I think, Solid. I think James Bond has never really innovated too much after the first couple times with their music but i felt like the music in this was really 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 good like yes yeah i'll hate on whatever i never at one time felt like it took me out of it because it was so like over the top like i think the sound design and the sound quality in this whole thing um from the explosion sounds to like you know the concussion grenade style thing all was good so Uh, i was very happy with the movie to talk about the score real quick, uh, I'll hate on whatever um, I'm about to hate on, but that score was fire, okay? And there's a little known reason that you might be liking the score more than usual is because Hans Zimmer did it. Of course. Yeah. Who else uh, does movie <laughs> scores? <laughs> yeah, who else does good it's modern Trent scores? Rez- it's, it's Trent Reznor or it's motherfucking uh, Hans Zimmer. It's so. always Hans Zimmer, okay? It literally always is. No, his score was phenomenal, I think. I think the way he was like able to capture old Bond sound and kind of uh, not even modernize it, but just make it for the Daniel Craig era, I think was a was a really nice touch. And just every time the music came on, it was it was very appropriate. It sounded like what it should sound like. There was yeah, Hans Zimmer killed it, knocked it out of the park. I will start by saying I don't really care for this movie. Um, there was so much fan service. That it kind of got a little much for me. Uh, yeah, like the shooting the barrel down the circles and the fucking no, that was cool. I, James Bond and I the appreciate chicken that not stirred. There's like four or five of them. I was like, please, we get it. This is the last one with Daniel Craig. Oh Come well, uh, I was I was I meant more the, um... the boobies, the hot ladies. Uh, yeah, okay, okay. There, there was just a lot of fans of, like uh, Felix's spoilers, big spoilers. Uh, Felix's death uh, felt pretty reminiscent of Felix's death in License to Kill, which was the Timothy Dalton movie. Uh, there, there was just a there was a, there was a lot the car thing. Oh, when he's driving with his wife, 
So that's kind of an homage, or his girlfriend, wife, whatever. That's kind of an homage to when James Bond got married one time, and the opening of the movie is them driving, and she gets killed. So I was literally waiting for that to happen the whole time, and I think Carrie Joji Fukunaga knew what they were doing when they made that scene. So I was literally just waiting for her to get sniped or something, but that didn't really happen. Maybe maybe I didn't think that that was like egregious. I kind of went like, oh, this feels so Bondy, and that was intentional, but ah. not over the top. Ah, but uh, here we go. I'm going to round out my point. Um, I'm tired of every director making their last Bond movie because it comes off as though they know it's going to be their only Bond movie, and so they have to fit in every single trope that they want from the old James Bonds. They have to fit in, oh, all the callbacks from the old James Bonds. Uh, it, it, it feels as though, like, I mean, obviously it's going to be their only one, but it feels as though they're not building their own movie. They're just trying to recreate other things, and it, I, it just doesn't do it for me. Uh, I, I really like... Skyfall because I think it did that first you know it had literally a ton of callbacks but I don't remember another James Bond doing that before Skyfall whereas this one and Spectre both had their own callbacks Uh, but you know like Casino Royale I really enjoyed Casino Royale because that's a little different yeah it has callbacks but you know there's uh, some avant-garde stuff like uh, the beginnings in black and white and you know it's more gritty it's more new age movie wise instead of uh sean connery roger moore cracking jokes and sleeping with questionably young women you know like all that stuff uh and i don't know it it just it just feels weird it feels like they're making a checklist of like what's a james bond movie got you know all right well let's check that one all right well let's check that one okay check that one and it just came off stronger than it ever did in this movie well not ever did but it came off stronger in this movie than what I would appreciate. And this is better than Quantum of Solace and better than Spectre. But I think my biggest complaint with this one is that it felt like Spectre 2. And did you ever see Spectre? No. Ah, okay. Well, this felt like Spectre 2 because Christoph Waltz's ball field. Well, let me, you go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, well, Spectre did a lot of things I didn't appreciate. It kind of undermined the previous three movies by claiming everything was Spectre's fault and that, you know, the other villains didn't really have their own motivations. It's really just Spectre pulling the strings, and I hated that. But, uh, and there was, oh, there's like, they're related. There was a lot that Spectre did, I think, very wrong. And so when this movie came off as more of a Spectre 2, I, it made me not care for it a lot more. Um, I think just even some of the writing didn't do it for me. I didn't like this pacing. I felt like it was snail-like pacing. Just everything happened so damn deliberately. It was unnecessarily long. I'll give you that. Yeah, I I, I don't know. It was split up into like four or five acts, too. And it's really, it's crazy when you you just know that you're at the final one. It's like, okay, here's the build-up. Thank God. You know, it, it almost felt like a superhero movie in that regard because you're just waiting for that final set piece or, uh, you know, uh, oh, I can't wait till Q tells him stuff, so that means that's going to be the final mission, you know what I'm saying? But uh, I, I don't know, man. It, it felt cookie-cutter in a weird way for me. And it's weird because it only feels cookie-cutter because of the last, you know, four four movies that Daniel Craig has been in, I think. Uh 
the Oldfield cookie cutter because of those, not because it's like the old James Bonds, because it's better than that shit. Old James Bonds suck. Uh, they're super old fashioned and everything, the, their sensibilities, just everything, and they're not great. Uh, to the point that the Timothy Dalton movies have aged better than I think the Sean Connery movies. That's I've Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Spectre, Skyfall. Oh yeah, sorry, Skyfall, Spectre, No Time to Die. This is the fifth. Okay, well, yeah, I, th- I think I, th- I think I still said it correctly, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like a, the movie that was really condensed or filled with things without any real reason to expand, you know? Uh, I think they added, not added, but they had so many characters and so many threads that some of the, some of them just came off as meh. Uh, like Anna de Armas, I, I didn't, I don't know, her whole bit and the trainee recruit that you see for 15 minutes and then gone, poof, is kind of, is kind of, I don't know, I didn't dig that. It felt like a waste of uh, her talent or even that character even. Um, I don't know, man. Just uh, my my biggest thing is it felt kind of cookie cutter for a twenty fifth movie in a series. <laughs> but uh, I just wish it wasn't afraid to do something crazy, and it comes off that way. That it just it felt like it felt as though the production company was taking charge a bit more than other movies. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they do their things in all of the movies, but it just felt as I was watching it that uh, a company made it, you know, to the point that it blew me away that four people wrote this screenplay. Like it, it took four screenwriters to write the screenplay. Or you, I mean, see, that's what doesn't surprise me. That more adds to your argument. I would think of like why it took so long and how things could be so all over the place. Like it's four different minds trying to churn out a resolution and they all want to add their little bit, their little flair, their little touch. Oh, I did this. Oh, we need this callback. And then three other guys are like, well, maybe. And he's like, no, here's why. And they're like, oh, that sounds pretty good because they're all working towards the same goal. But it's four motherfucking, br- you know, it's too many cooks in the kitchen, bro. Sorry, maybe the surprise is they got four screenwriters and this is what you it's, got? <laughs> it, it wasn't. It took four people to polish a turd. And at the end of the day, it's still a turd. Yeah, uh, I, got yeah you. I, I don't know. And, and that. Oh, yeah. okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say just really my last part uh, that Rami Malek was a very non-menacing villain. Uh, I I didn't really didn't really do anything for me. Seemed like a guy who's taking over the world, uh, or you know, not taking over the world, but doing some being world mean shit. And evil, yeah, yeah. <laughs> being some evil shit. Uh, and please, uh, whatever broccoli, who is the big producer on these movies. Her, it's something broccoli. That's her last name. Please stop. I, I think you should stop the whole villains having facial scars and stuff. You're really just you're just making it worse for people out here. Uh, I really think you should destigmatize. Uh, Barbara the next, broccoli. The next, yeah, Barbara broccoli. Uh, the next James Bond, he should have a facial scar because, like, come on, guys. Every villain needs a facial thing. I mean, it, 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 I don't know. It just kind of gets old after a while. But uh, what were you gonna say? I was just, the only point I was going to make was something I said to you prior to starting, uh, which was, I think this is the best Bond. I don't think it's a good movie. And that's the, that's the caveat is this is still a polished turd. So, I mean, it's a turd, you know what I mean? Like, 
It's fine. It's got all the right bits. It wasn't fucking diarrhea. It wasn't. It didn't hurt. Sweet. It's just. It's just poop. <laughs> so, you know. Wow. I, I, the great. I don't know if you've used that metaphor yet. That's that's nice. Uh, we're gonna have to. <laughs> we're, I'm gonna have to go back to the records and see if you've used that one before. I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, it's, I mean, it's a perfect encapsulation for how I felt about the movie, except I wouldn't say it's the best Bond. Um, I, I, I so don't know, man. Want to go to score? Yeah, I don't have a lot more to say about this because I put it at a 5.5 five or a 6. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 6.5, um, but that's only because I don't think any other Bond is above a 6, so. Hey, uh, you got your opinions, you know, you got your opinion. I'll defend right, so, movies. So we'll, go, we'll, we'll be at a 6 if you're a five, 5.5, five, I'm a 6.5? Yeah, yeah, six out of ten sounds good to me. That seems... I mean, that means it's watchable. I hey, it is watchable. I'm yeah, not I'm gonna, gonna say that's it's what the six would be in my book. I think six means watchable. It's yeah. fine enough, you know. I, I will will not argue that whatsoever. I just think there were a lot of flaws, and well, if you're expecting something to blow your mind, you're not gonna get that. Uh, well, to get a little meta for a moment, then. Uh, that is good news because we're now uptrending. We are no longer watching dog shit trash, thank Christ. <laughs> well, I don't know about this week's pick, but hopefully the movie will be uh, will yeah, the be movie will be redeeming serviceable. But we will figure that out on next week's episode, which will be episode fifty-one, where we will be reviewing Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. Starring uh, Adam Driver, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Jodie Comer, and Young Thug's new album, Punk. We will see you on episode 51 of The Worst Critics. As always, I'm Noah Davis. I'm John Pena. And we're out of here.